Hi everybody, welcome to this week's episode, hope you're well, um, finally the sun is shining which is nice, it's been, um, been a grim couple of days up north as they say, um, yeah, but today the sun shines quite nice, so I just thought, um, this is a slightly different episode today, um, I'm just going to go kind of straight into what was going on there and get back to a little bit more of a more of a stream of consciousness kind of vibe um with the um, with the content of the episodes uh, there's been a few interviews uh last few weeks and bits and bobs of stuff hope you enjoyed those um but yeah i kind of i published a couple of these episodes of sort of day in the life of practice they were called and um, and it's funny because I I don't think many people have been that engaged with them or watch them or or what have you. Um, but that's fine. They're there as an archive. Um, but this episode, I've, I sort of mentioned in that episode, the previous one when I was doing this thing about playing in odd time signatures, I mentioned I was going to do something at the kit and it'd be slightly different than the previous couple of episodes at the kit and uh, that sort of solo at the start there it's something that um is really kind of close to me um in relation to improvisation and um and it's kind of away from this idea of uh of chops or technical or rudimental based improvisation it's about kind of going with um like a theme from a sound you know and if i talk about that small solo at the beginning i mean it's basically the background of it is this It just comes from like the ride symbol there when I'm playing the ride symbol. For me, there's two main elements going on there. One is there is a kind of groove, if you like. You know, immediately there's this uh, one, two, three, four, that, 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 that. It's like a syncopated thing, you know. Um, and the second thing is the symbol is making a sound that's three-dimensional. You know, it's got... Um, it sounds to me like it's got colour and depth to it as well as it sort of resonating just because you're hitting something that, you know, resonates like a piece of metal. As soon as I start hitting the cymbal, I just get interested immediately in this kind of... Mm. 
just immediately get interested in these different colors and different things that are going on within the cymbal sound. And then as I'm hitting the cymbal, I'm thinking, oh, you know. Parts of the symbol which are which is sort of speaking to me and they're saying different things. Now the rhythmic structure is the same, isn't it? You know, there's no change to the rhythmic structure. It's, you know, you're, you're presented with this thing. That's... Et cetera, et cetera. It's just, you know, just like a rhythmical uh, theme, which is something which, if you listen to that solo all the way through, and I was doing that thing on, on the rim, three different pitches. Again, I was using that kind of loosely, that rhythmical theme. But the other dimensions to that are, is, is the pitch. And then... There's the kind of sonority, you know, the, um, the 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 length or the depth of sound, you know, and then about what different parts of the kit. There's those sort of this kind of relationship between the left hand and the high hat and the way in which this can create longer sounds by using this kind of roll, left left-handed kind of crushed roll. And then using the high hat um, to also sort of support that texture. Whereas the bass drum, which is which is pretty much the way I've got it tuned, is pretty short you know it's a short sound it's always going to be a short sound so i'm thinking well i can use that to punctuate you know anything that's going on within the rhythmic structure if i want to emphasize any point within the rhythmic structure which is which i feel is more i want to bring it out you know it's kind of more part of the the, uh, the groove or whatever you know and it links back to this idea again i was talking about in that episode if you've not listened to that episode go back i can't remember what it's called actually i never remember what any of these things are called it's something some do solos um drum solos an abstract view or something and uh and that really comes from the abstract view thing it just comes from my um i don't consider the way i play drum solos as being any kind of mainstream really um and yeah it's not a kind of it's kind of an ironic thing because it's the, the drum solo for me the background of it was was the buddy rich thing you know and uh it was always something that was quite chopsy you know technical and there was a, there was a kind of degree i suppose of cabaret if you like um and uh, got to be careful with that word. It can have negative connotations. Cabaret is not a negative thing at all. It can be, it can be, 
super cool and artistic. And uh, and I think you know in in the in Buddy Rich's world, um, and I talk about this with the with like people like Papa Joe Jones and people that they they have a kind of act. It's like a cabaret. It's a drum cabaret that uh, is loosely based upon some kind of foundations you know some approaches uh, but it's probably different every night because because things are always different aren't they you know so you have that kind of view as to whether or not you you're in the sort of Paul Mochian sort of uh, frame of things where everything is a blank canvas which is kind of I think more where my approaches and i'm not saying i have endless technique and language and stuff that's definitely not the case um i have you know limitations within my language and my vocabulary but i kind of accept that and i try um what i try and do and when i'm practicing and and keeping you know on top of my rudimentary language is i is i try and make sure that uh, i'm playing those things at the best of my ability you know that playing those things in a way which is best presented um so it's making a decision of of kind of there's things that one can can play and get around the instrument and then using those things to tell a story uh and you know i think that my approach is um it's nothing like paul motion or or uh, you know, Billy Higgins or someone, I think about these kind of players that definitely for me, like you, like you, Jack G. Jeanette, who have this, feel like they have this ability to um, just play off a blank canvas all the time. And, and uh, you know, and I mean, I mean, Jack, you know, Jack does have a few what I would call signature things that he plays. Uh, I think like Tony Williams, you know, at, at certain times as well, certain, the 60s with the quintets and, two the two great quintets you know one with uh, george coleman and then the, with wayne miles's quintets he you know he, it was he's playing very improvisational you know i mean that's a double positive in it he was improvisational but it's um he's definitely got this this kind of feeling of a blank canvas you know um and it's responsive and and in the music and it's just that kind of fine line between um, playing in a way which is exciting but doesn't get out of control, you know. And there's different approaches to that, I think. Um, I mean, the core thing is the same. But um, I think just making sure a lot of the time that we're clear about what our language is and not sort of going outside those parameters, you know. And I I sort of found, when I'm improvising, I just found a way of playing which a lot of the time keeps things within that kind of parameter, you know, which means I'm sort of playing in a way where I feel like I'm not losing control, you know, which is, um, you know, I think a lot of the time, what we're aiming to do and sometimes it's kind of good to see something really going for it and being kind of crazy um but if i'm thinking about those sort of 
these sort of ideas, like immediately as soon as I play that, Even as I get into that flow there, it feels like I'm still telling the same story as I was telling you earlier on. You know, it feels like I'm carrying on with that narrative. Um, I'm not picking up from where I left off, so to speak, like some kind of like amazing awareness, like oh, you know, exactly where I stopped. I'm carrying on from. That's not what I'm saying because the, the actual first solo felt to me like it had a definite um ending to it you know it it, it there, was a, there was a sort of final statement but the, the sort of overall theme of it and the story of it just because it finished the solo finishes doesn't mean that it's over you know it's uh, it, i have the right to to just go and revisit it again uh, or you know move on to something else and come back to it again later and i think one of the things in in our playing that we can develop is in this sense of kind of identity is this approach to improvisation um especially if you if you can get on a run with playing and, and you can uh, you know kind of get um a connection with an audience you know um it as audiences get to know your playing it's almost like they're, they're, they're reading a book or a story that they really like, you know. And when they come and see you play, it's about kind of revisiting, uh, getting back into that book again, you know, not, not revisiting the book, but carrying on with the story of the book, you know. And, and that's not about playing, you know, the same things and stuff. It's just about kind of consistency of character, you know something that I find fascinating um, and it sort of links into identity and, and all that stuff when you're kind of thinking about how you're going to develop your, um, you know, how am I going to develop my playing? How am I going to develop uh, who I am? How am I going to stand out from the crowd? How am I going to do X, Y, and Z and, and make an impact? You know, um, I think by thinking about all those things, you're almost shooting yourself in the foot in a way because if you take a step back from that and, and start at the beginning of, of sort of following your nose in relation to where the sound world of what you're playing takes you, then you kind of bypass all that stuff, don't you? You know, if I, if I just start improvisation by uh, just sort of dropping the sticks onto the kit in a certain way and catching them, hopefully. Um, that in itself will lead me 
down and down an alleyway. You know, it's going to going to basically dictate what the the kind of textural rhythmic start to something is. You know. So, you know, the, I start off with, I mean, I'm just, I'm dropping both sticks sort of onto the drum head and onto the rim of the uh, the 12 inch, the, uh, the rack tom. Um, and I've got anyone that's been following me on Instagram, probably nobody. Um, I've got, I'm playing a five piece at the moment, which is, I've not played a five piece since I was probably, I mean, I mean, playing a five piece consistently um properly <laughs> since i was probably 18 19 i used to have a premier this premier royal kit which uh, had sort of uh, i'd set the toms up that was slightly offset with the 12 and 13 toms and 16 floor tom 22 inch bass from hideous kind of sizes for my for what i was trying to do uh, but I sort of had the the twelve on a clamp, and uh, it was like like the way Dave Weckl sets up. So it's like a four piece setup with the tom sort of in front of the hi hat more. But he makes the hi hat a bit too lefty for me. I find it really hard. Anyway, this is not set up like this. It's a normal five piece vibe. Um, but yeah, so I'm dropping the sticks, just sort of dropping them onto the and then catching catching them. And then when I did when I dropped the first stick, I, I I splashed the hi hat. You probably noticed, and that just started off the story for me. That was the narrative. It's like ah okay, I've splashed the hi hat, um, and I like that sound. Um, just that sound. It's got something about it. It's got a character. It's got a it's got a narrative, um, and because. You know, I've got some technique and I've got a bit of confidence about myself. I can then kind of explore that idea. Uh, I definitely encourage you when you sit at the instrument to to mess around with those kind of things. It just doesn't mean that you're going to play like that or whatever. It's just about exploring the possibilities of the instrument, just learning about the different sound worlds. 
I like this. Um, the thing I like about this, dropping this thing on the rim is that if you're playing anything, and if you sort of mess up and you end up hitting the rim, it sort of adds to the texture of the thing that you're playing. It's not a mistake, you know. Like that sort of sound, it's just on the rim and then, you know, I'm not worried about playing. I'm playing. But if I end up playing, then I've got a rim shot thing. It's like suddenly it just feels a bit liberate, more liberating to be not not care so much when you're soloing about about exactly hitting things, you know, in, in a way. Or if you're exploring all of the different sound possibilities of, of the kit, then there, everything's up for grabs. Everything's open for business, you know, sound-wise. So and I think that like, if you have that consistency in your playing and when you're playing to audiences that get to know you, then that expectation is is instilled in your in the personality of what you do in your character in the in the in the player that you are you know and uh, and that's that's a really nice i think kind of perpetuating circling relationship with people that listen to you because then the expectation is is set out and then the expectation is being set out from you it's not being set out from a comparison to somebody else or um, like you thinking that one should be playing like somebody else or be doing something like somebody else because that's what is expected of me from the audience. You've got to build a vibe that makes the audience expect to see you the character every time you play you know and i have I th i've talked about it before is this, this thing about sound and about how you develop how you develop your sound because for me the character of your playing i think is in the sound you know if you're a kind of uh if you're a player that plays this kind of kind of player people are going to expect that kind of vibe you know if you're a studio player as well you're playing in you know in the studio as well and doing live things you walk in the studio one day and suddenly start playing differently then you know we you know it's kind of obvious what i'm saying so we have to develop our sound from somewhere when we, when we practice when we work and <coughs> One of the things I wanted to talk about today and just share a little bit of the insight of not too much of it because it all gets a bit boring, but just something for you to maybe think about is have I been asked many times about why why do why is it good to learn to do this? I'm not doing this. I'm doing this. Why is it good to learn to feather the bass drum? Well, for me, I think it's a core 
reason to sorry i think a core reason to learn to feather the bass drum when you're playing jazz music where the the, the bass drum um has what i would say uh multifunction um it's not just a groove thing where you're going know that function for me is a vertical it's like a vertical function it's a, a thing where the bass drum is <laughs> bass drum and the snare drum are outlining the points in the music where people are going to move and dance to you know and in jazz the feathering thing if you're playing that kind of, if I'm playing a, I can play that down here, that dynamic, kind of Afro-Cuban-y, bembe sort of thing. But I can also play... You can play that dynamic, or can play that dynamic. Your... As a listener, I think you're still feeling and moving to the bass drum at either dynamic. But I, if I haven't practiced this, in fact, this, with... I haven't practiced those two things together. When I come to play something where I want the bass drum not here sort of here then I'm going to struggle if I haven't practiced that thing so it feels to me like it's a way of learning to play the bass drum it's not to get confused and I've seen this a thousand times is that when you play jazz you have to play four in the bar feathering the bass drum it's like that is not the case. That is perfectly fine. Um, the bass drum doesn't need to be played. A lot of people get make this mistake where they learn to feather the bass drum and they think that someone's told them that they've got to play feathered bass drum all the time. And that is not the case, you know. But to have the option to be able to play feathered bass drum all the time and yet it not get in the way that's a completely different thing, isn't it? That's a completely different reason to learn it. And that's a completely different set of parameters that you can control when you come to play the bass drum. And so that's a very, for me, it's a very simple reason why you learn to feather the bass drum. You learn to play the bass drum at pianissimo dynamic, which is not easy, I don't think. I don't think it's an easy thing to do. You don't sit down behind the drum kit once you sort of learn to play a few beats and stuff and suddenly you can play pianissimo bass drum. I don't think that's the case at all. But once you've learned to do it, I think it's something that's relatively easy to do. It's like anything. It's not a struggle. It's not a sort of a chore. It's something that actually becomes... Um, I Quite a lot of time when I'm playing jazz swing gigs um, and I'm not playing in this environment, which is like a very microscopic environment. That, you, know, you can really hear... <laughs> You 
sort of hear everything that's going on. Once you're in a room playing with people, I always find that I end up not even consciously realizing that I'm playing this all the time. I'm feathering the bass drum during that at points just because I actually like feathering the bass drum. <laughs> got to the point where I practiced it a lot then got pretty good at it, I think, and I actually enjoy doing it, you know. But the feathering the bass drum thing, the thing I've noticed as well, what it gives me when I'm improvising and soloing or doing something expressive... <laughs> is that it gives me this other dynamic possibility in that environment as well. So don't forget that it adds these elements. It adds all these different elements to your playing. You know, if, if, you, if you have that ability to, to play the bass drum down at this level, then it means that you have the ability to play... If I want to be gentle with the bass drum under the ride, and I want to be able to just have that ability to have that relationship between. dynamic um, range available to me without stress or strain you know it's just to make it all sit within this um it's back to what i said before about being within this it's non it's comfortable parameter you know it's not out of control it's um it's expressive and um it maybe connects with people. I don't know. That's sort of, that's sort of other people. Um, there's a degree of uh, honesty in it. Um, it's it's playing from a uh, a place where it's not pre-setting out a bag of tricks or a bag of you know kind of chops or whatever. Um, and I'm able to, as I'm saying, stay kind of in control of what I'm doing. So, yeah, I think I think so. That's one of, another one of the reasons why we maybe learn to, you know, feather the bass drum and have that ability to play this old kind of thing down here uh, quietly, you know, which is great. Um, and then there's just that back to that question again about about why we maybe learn um, some things 
in with different stickings, you know, so that um, it may necessarily be the same sound. things like the four stroke rough you know 16 variations of the four stroke rough. i've not played them all there by the way i've played about four or five different variations but the you know because it's a four stroke thing there are 16 different variations and that's the you know the one-handed version like that is a that's definitely a version um we can you know it's good to practice that it's not something we probably that's probably not the approach we maybe use all the time but it's having that having that understanding of it and that it's an option you know but um but if you look at it like a lot of the time with four stroke roughs anyone that knows me knows that i have two favorite variations or ways of playing that are actually linked to the same technique and i think i've talked about this before but it's the double stroke way so you right right left left with an articulation or the other one is Now that way is, that's the first thing I played there was the left hand on its own and the second thing I played was the right hand on its own. It's again, it's just two double strokes but displaced. So. Now that way of playing the four stroke rough um, is in theory single strokes um, but the technique behind it is double strokes uh, i'm not going to go into too much i've, I've been in, into a bit quite a lot of detail about this a number of episodes ago um, early quite early on actually but again it's just presenting that idea that you know Something that single strokes might not necessarily be single strokes. It's uh, yeah, the sticking is right, left, right, left with an accent, but the technique behind it is right, right, left, left displaced between each other because uh, the right, right can have a left, left that happens just after the first right and just after the second right. Um, that's kind of obvious, isn't it? You know, um, whereas if you're literally playing it hand to hand to hand it, it requires for me a different kind of attention that um is not in my normal vocabulary of drumming you know uh, but i have these options and so this one is right right left right now that um that's kind of a useful one if I want to be moving around the kit and just filling in a little space with the left hand. It stops sounding like a four-stroke rough as much when it's orchestrated like that, but it is still a four-stroke rough, you know. Uh, so, again, if you're practicing things and having this kind of understanding of, of the different options that these patterns give you, then when you come to improvise, all that stuff will be available to you um, because it'll be part of how you've practiced and this uh, this neural system, you know, um, 
this plasticity of the mind thing, which people talk about. But it's that, that's why we practice things properly and we try and understand how things work when we practice. Because if we're able to uh, to have that level of understanding, it becomes part of the structure of, of how we play on, on, a, on a brain level, on a neurological level I'm talking about. Um, and then there's the emotional side of it. There's like, you know, then we put our emotion into it and then it feels good because we feel like our emotional side has the support of our brain, you know, has the support of our, uh, of how we've learnt systems, you know, how we've got those things together in our mind. And then that kind of, that, that cycle, it feels, it's a positive cycle, so it kind of reinforces and then encourages us to go on and push things further and learn new things and then, and then learn them properly, get them into our muscle memory, get them into our, the way we, the way our brains work and then in the moment in the joyous moment of playing we're then able to express ourselves and play from the heart but with the support of the mind you know and uh, it's, it's often people talk about this thing of you know people playing from the brain um, people playing just from the heart you know no technique it's all just kind of in the moment and it's just a vibe and that's all cool both those things are cool um i'm not you know i'm not i'm not personally saying that uh, either of those are for me you know my my way of kind of playing and practicing and learning and things is is i think a little bit more um you know i like to uh, it's been a goal to try and learn to practice properly for instance so just in that just in that thing of, of learning to practice properly it's definitely given me options when i'm in a tight corner say and definitely like experiences like being in the studio you know and um and i've got to play something again uh, and it's got a specific thing it's just like a just like the hi-hat need some kind of weight or something you know it's just a thing where i've i've been playing like a i've gone back in the thing and the, and the producer or the artist or whatever said oh, i really like that thing you're doing on the one where you go You know, it's just I'm playing the one with the with the bass drum. And the rest of the the rest of the higher pattern is all with the tip with the stick. You know, there's no um, there's no shank. I'm not playing. Like you see, if I, it's all shanky, that playing with the shank there, then there's less impact. I'm, And when you go back into, you know, you listen back to the track and you sort of, you've made a, me you know, made a mess of it or it you know, wasn't quite right or whatever, or the things happening in the moment, the, 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 the vibe of the music, of the drum part, you're in this kind of, you know, uh, say you're in this, 
this lucky situation where you're kind of it's unfolding in the moment and you're working in the moment as you're tracking something you're actually writing something and finding the answer to the track and working with the artist and the producer and they're going yeah yeah that's the thing that's the thing it's a good point you've got to walk back in that room and get it, all that stuff together you know you've got to be like right i've got to get this whole package together now they, they want they want this thing where they want the bass drum at this certain level has got this this cross stick thing going on and then there's this And every time I need to play that weighty, I've got to play it in a certain way, you know. Now, that might all sound really simple, but actually it requires you to have a certain level of, of fundamental control that you need to be able to uh, connect to if you say go back in there and just start to get a little bit in your head or get a little bit kind of nervous or you start to th overthink it and and the you know the the thing about getting stuff into muscle memory um is that it can generally be overcome this overthinking thing so you can very quickly i, I have a technique that i use when i'm teaching um that has been very very seems to have been very successful in as i observe as, as, as i present the kind of option to the student when they're struggling with something coordinational uh and it's about making them think about how they're doing what they're doing differently than than um than they currently are and what i've seen tends to happen is is that they've worked on um, something and they've got to a pretty good level with it. Um, and then they come in the room and it is time and time again. And, and, you know, I've had that when I've been recording these podcasts. I've had this thing where, you know, you're in the moment and you suddenly can't play. I mean, I remember we, we, we had this, the interview with Elliot Henshaw, which was a few episodes ago. Me and Elliot have always had that hilarious, this hilarious conversation about when... You know, you go into a situation where you're like in front of a room of people and you're doing like a master class and you're playing and suddenly you you just suddenly can't play the drums at all, you know. And it's it comes from a, a place for for me anyway, it comes from a place of being sort of self-conscious and overthinking and and nerves and stuff. And there's just little subtle ways in which you can just change the focus of of where your mind is and it can snap you back into what you actually know quite deeply you know and that's from having practiced from it properly having a decent amount of muscle memory and being able to then access that playing those things that you've learned in the moment and be expressive emotional with them you know you know use that stuff and actually be expressive with it and use that information not just play it from a muscle memory place um it's that four stages of competence things isn't it the unconscious incompetent then the conscious incompetent and then the unconscious competent and the competent competent i think that's the right order of it all um and there's you know those different stages in our in our lives as musicians the thing we have to remember is as, as we learn new things we go through some of those stages again i don't think we ever go 
I don't think we're ever unconsciously incompetent. You know, again, if we're pretty experienced on the instrument and we've got, you know, some sort of tech, we've got some sort of technique and sound together. You know, and we can play the instrument a bit and play some styles and stuff. I think, you know, the, the, the stage we then start at, it depending on what, what uh, is dependent on what the task is and how far away from it is, you know, for me, um, with coordinational things, um, I would say I'm, you know, incompetently, uh, sorry, uh, I would say that I'm consciously incompetent and then, and then I work my way from that, you know. So, and it's simply because uh, I'm learning something coordinationally that I, I cannot play yet. So, so there are things like uh, I don't uh, use complex polyrhythmic metronome uh, settings when I'm doing things like that. I use a metronome. I've talked about this before where it's just on all four beats of the bar. I will get into using the metronome in a more interesting way once I've got to a level of competence with the pattern, you know. Because um, once I've got to that level where I can physically play something um, and it's kind of just in, getting it into the muscle memory, then it's nice to be able to have more interesting polyrhythmic metronome settings in order to see where the push and the pull is within the coordination you know because coordination is not just about doing you know you know doing those two things at the same time as doing two other things it's it's also about the uh the consistency of those patterns so making sure that they don't rush or drag you know um, you can hear people that have sort of overcome a coordinational thing but the time frame's a nightmare you know so they haven't really overcome the coordinational thing because the time frame is not actually consistent and uh and and I you know I put most of the problems in my playing are down to coordinational problems because they create all kinds of other problems. And some of them are related to time, and some of them are related to fluidity, and some of them are related to being able to um, be expressive in the moment and not be stifled by by something that I can't play. And it's that thing of you know you can become aware of where of what you can play and your your vocabulary, your language, and your coordinational abilities, and all that stuff. It becomes part of who you are and again we're back to this full circle thing of again of you know knowing what we are as players so yeah um so it can be quite challenging i think when we've played for a long time um because i think a, a number of people that do listen to this are players you know what i would what i would say are players people that play the instrument and they have their thing, their genre, or their band, or their vibe, or the thing that they do, their approach, they're known for something. And as soon as they, you know, they want to take on something new, I want to get something together, you know. A lot of people talk about this thing of, I want to get something that I can already do more together, or better. Uh, like time, you know. Somebody wants to get better with their time. They want to be, instead of sort of being more, they want to be maybe a bit more, I don't know, they maybe want to play a bit more laid back or something, you know.
Um, or, you know, they want to get their technique better or something, you know, or they want to understand their own technique better or they want to understand somebody else's technique. There's all these different things that people maybe want to add to what they can already do. Uh, and what I mean by that is, is expand on the thing that they can already do. And then there's people that want to learn new things, new styles, you know, or change their technique. You know, one of the things that I learned in um, in the early noughties, uh, sort of between, I don't know, like 2002 and, and uh, yeah, just kind of, it's still ongoing really, but it was something that I'd never really used before, was this was this rebound using my thumb and forefinger just as a kind of it's a roll sound thing a single stroke thing i would always i would always have played it like that which is double strokes you know uh and i wanted to add this whole sort of sound world to my playing especially for playing cymbal rolls and things like that. Instead of it sort of being this, I wanted this. I wanted that sound instead. Now, to m many people, or some people, or, you know, it might just be like, well, they both sound the same to me, you know. Uh, but I think to the, to the trained ear, they, uh, they sound slightly different. But to me, they feel very different to play. And so that means that my kind of, um, you know, my emotional connection to what I'm doing is different and is actually maybe, is maybe truer to the thing that I'm really feeling, you know. Um, those technical changes can, can have that impact on our playing, you know. Uh, it's, it's something to think about. Uh, I don't want to get too deep and weird, but, but that, that that can be a really like when I was learning to do that uh, rebound thing, it was like learning to play the drums again. It was the beginning of, you know, it's like if you went back and started to sort of look at playing uh, full stroke and that approach to drums, that technical approach, you'd have to start at the beginning of that process, you know, um, and that's. You know, just with a snare drum or a pad and hitting the drum single strokes you know it's like uh even if you've got like amazing vocab and chops and things and play all these crazy grooves and playing really crazy time signatures if you want to learn that technique you've got to go back to playing single hits on a drum you know it's going to take you a certain amount of time to first of all get on top of the core um, elements of that technique and then get it into the muscle memory you know it's 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 quite simply time served there's no way around it you know you can't bypass it now there may be things where um because of how you play and how you've learned that things come to you quicker and i think there's certainly truth in that um when I was like analyzing molar technique and be, sort of beginning a better, slightly better understanding of, about it, how it kind of works, how it sort of works on the snare drum, for instance, just as a snare's playing single stroke sort of thing. Again, it's that thing of a single strokes, so it's not. It's I'm playing triplets with my right hand, and that's triplets with my left hand, 
in between with a pickup string. So there's, a, there's those kind of whipping accents. The actual energy comes from a single input, which that's with the left hand, which creates three strokes, you know. But when I, I kind of learned that technique by instinct, but years and years later, I had to go back and sort of learn about the technique actually properly and, and, and how I could actually use it. I never really considered the coordinational challenges of using that kind of approach. And there's just also the thing of using it around the kit, you know, and, and being able to, to be more fluid with it. Um, and it just gave me, again, it was just like a different sound world, you know, um, from, from, a, from another way of playing the same kind of patterns. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of that. Um, there's this kind of now that is a six stroke roll okay but it's also you can think of it as a, a displaced paradiddle diddle can't you because it's right left and a right right left left but it's actually left right left left but you can also play it um, using that molar technique thing I was showing you before. I'm, the microphone stuff might be a little bit in the way here to, to, to play it at any kind of speed. But if I'm playing on the snare drum, I can just play those play those two hits on the toms and then just. can also play, I mean that's just, instead of, they're both triplet feeling things but they're different stickings and they have slightly different sounds and different characters to them and um, I remember when I was learning this um, This sticking, which is a Steve Gadd sticking. And again, when I when I first heard Steve Gadd playing this thing, I thought he was playing I thought he was playing this six-stroke roll thing. But it turns out that he's actually playing this. Now again. That is it's quite a complex, it's not a complex sticking, but it's a sticking based on right, left, left, right, left, right, foot. Okay. Right, left, left, right, right, foot. So you've got right, uh, right, left, left, right, left, right, foot, left, left, right, left, left, right, left, left, right, left, right foot, left, left, right, left, right, foot. Okay. Um, The, both things, when they played at speed, they end, they end up basically sounding like triplets and like very similar things. But again, it's just it's in order to understand what that is and what the sound of that is and how where it comes from. I need to know those facts, don't I? I need to know what the sticking is, and I need to know what the orchestration of that sticking is. But 
if I'm thinking about sort of slightly changing the way I'm playing that six stroke roll thing, which is also that displays paradiddle diddle thing, um, using the toms, um, then I've got this kind of molar technique option of playing the single handed triplets, um, that are displaced from each other to create six strokes with the accents and the accents are the same accents as I'm creating when I'm playing the six stroke roll. Um, but instead of it being right, left, left, right, right, left, right, the sticking is just right, left, right, left, right, left, right. Okay. Well, I'm just shout, kind of shouting the accents, but, um, anyway, yeah, it's just thinking about things on that, that level of detail and and then practicing them and understanding them properly and then and then i have the options then when i'm playing for this stuff to kind of come out anyone that knows me again knows that i you know the paradiddle diddle is something that i really like and have kind of connected with and the thing that i really like about the paradiddle diddle is playing this kind of accent with the second left again i've talked about this before It's just having that weight on the second left before the pattern comes round. And uh, it just adds, when you're using it in patterns and different things, it just adds this kind of little bit of articulation, a bit of character, you know. So it's that thing of you've got the muscle memory side of it and the brain side of it. And then what do I, how do I want to say that phrase? Well, you know, I'm going to put a little accent in. Uh, and again talked about that before so i don't want to go over that too much but it's just making sure that when you're practicing things that you you know you have uh, this understanding of why you're practicing them and what uh, what that can kind of give you um, as options and then again looking at this this way of uh, soloing on the instrument and trying to uh, find different uh, sort of sonic or sonoric options um when you're exploring the instrument and the sound of what the instrument can offer you you know uh, of course the better the instrument the the more sound world you've got to play with you know um, i mean this ride symbol is is got really interesting
So that whole solo came out of the two the two pitches on the right symbol. Really, there's this there's this pitch here. I know this symbol really well. It's got it's got it's slightly unevenly hammered. So there's some different things going on within it, and it's uh, and also the thing that's very uh, interesting about this symbol is the more that I play, and the better my kind of I get honed into the sound of the symbol my technique my hand gets more kind of in the zone because you know you get your hands get warm and they change and things i definitely get more definition out of this symbol it, it can sound very different uh when i've been playing it for an hour than uh you know it's and so it's it's kind of sometimes it's really disappointing when they come back to it so you know i know that i've got to i've got to get back to the sound again back into the sound of the symbol and people think, well, you know, you're just hitting something, you know. It's not like a, an instrument where you've got to warm it up like a saxophone or whatever, where you've got to get some air through it and get it warm and get the reed moving and this, that, and the other, and blah, 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 blah. But that's not actually true, you know. It's not true for me. I think when you've got a symbol that has less colours, that's certainly... Um, it's, it's easier to get there quicker, you know. But this symbol definitely doesn't have that vibe, you know. It's got really interesting thing and there's two kind of areas here there's this area and then there's this area now there's sort of there's this velocity region with the outer this the the second one sort of to the right of the bell uh, still in a similar playing position, slightly nearer the bell, but it's slightly thinner lathing. Um, you've got that click clacky thing if you can just find it. And then if you play it slightly harder, that thing disappears. Whereas down here, You don't really lose the click clacky thing on the cymbal. It's got that, it's still got that kind of front to the sound. that low dynamic there uh, I'm, I'm still hearing it in the room you know hopefully it's coming across on the recording so but you can see just even just by starting to play the cymbal because i know the cymbal well and it's like oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's got those two different it just immediately starts off a narrative for me and it means it's something that i can kind of you know gets me into a headspace and gets me into playing um something that's expressive you know there's lots of different technical aspects going on within what i was playing before but you know i'm not thinking about any of those things when i'm playing and and i doubt anyone that's listening is even thinking about that or even cares they're, you know they're, they're listening and 
maybe enjoying it, maybe not, I don't know. Um, but you want to have got all that stuff out of the way in the practice room, you know. So uh, anyway, I think that's kind of enough for today. Um, I'm hoping this is all recorded because uh, I'm not even checked. I just sort of turned things on. I had some weird static going on with the microphone, but um, it's like it's settled down a bit now. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, so sorry this uh, episode's a little bit late this week again. It's been a bit of a funny time. Been kind of finding it hard at the weekends to to get on the kit um, just for some other reasons. And also, I don't, I don't like playing too much at the weekend. I kind of keep the playing into the into the weekdays really. And uh, and I've just um, just finished work um and i'm going to be off now for a couple of weeks so um in fact literally two weeks actually which is great so um i'm gonna have a little bit more of a chance to to play a little bit more in the weeks and do some recording and stuff and hopefully get back to a slightly better rhythm um but next week's episode uh, i think will be uh, away from the kit, I think. It might be some pad stuff, I'm not sure yet. But there's a few things I wanted to talk about um, that are also, they're sort of technical, really. It might be a little bit boring. Um, but, again, you know, it's just nice to to kind of share some of these ideas, etc., uh, etc., et and kind of, um, <clears throat> yeah, get back into a little bit of uh, kind of, drumminess again and you know hopefully in the uk this week live music uh, was beginning again venues are allowed to have live music uh, where i live we're in a sli slightly less free situation there's still been some issues so there's, we're sort of in a bit of a slightly trickier situation um but i i don't have any gigs at the moment at all i've got nothing at all not on i've not done a gig since uh, the beginning of March and uh, and it's still the same situation I had a gig that was booked in for next weekend which there's a possibility that it may have happened but it, it was cancelled um, they're starting their live music from the 1st of September I think maybe 31st of August or maybe it's the first week of September but anyway that's great that, that music started again so hopefully um might actually do a gig at some point soon which would be amazing um but i'm certainly just focusing more on recording at the moment and practicing and uh, and and also work is about to get extremely busy where once we get into september things are going to be full-on quite challenging um so that's going to be yeah it's going to be something that's going to occupy quite a lot of my time um but yeah anyway thanks for listening if you have been and uh, I'll be back again next, uh, hopefully next Sunday, uh, a bit more consistent from that. So, uh, yeah, nice one. Bye for now. <laughs>